On this episode of the Ordinary Faith Podcast, I talk with Adam Gustine about becoming a just church. Well, hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Ordinary Faith Podcast. So glad that you are here joining us wherever you are, whether you're driving or running or doing chores around the house. I don't know what you do when you listen to your podcast. I think I do all of the above. Um, I'm your host, Dan Jackson. I'm a pastor, writer, and podcaster, and I'm joined by my good friend, Mrs. LaShawn Barber. Hey, hey. LaShawn, glad you're here. Thank you. Good to be here. How are you? I'm well. The sun is out. The sun is out. Although the wind is windy. Wind is going to be winding. Today today is a windy day. The wind is going to win because I have on a flary shirt today, friends, and uh, the wind just decided to try to make a scandal of me today. (laughs) So so I've been walking around like holding my shirt like a little tie down. Yeah. Nice. Walking with that. Got to get the tie-down straps yes. going. Doing, kind of walk, doing the penguin walk. So doing the penguin walk but while while you got that hair blowing all over the place. I'm sure. the <laughs> you got this. What, what do you call those? Curls? Yes. Springs? These are. I like um, it. Yeah. What's, it's, the, what's the term? It's it's a twist out. A twist out. In case you would like to know. I do. Um, That's what I'm asking. Oh, thank you. It's a twist out. So it makes my hair springy curls and it's big and all over the place. And so when the wind blows, it just goes. One side. Which is fine. Which is fine. Yeah. It's very 80s. Yeah. So I, I, uh, instead of lunch today, I skipped and went for a run real fast. And, oh. And I was just doing some little sprints, uh, you know, like uh, sprint intervals. And, okay. And it is so stinking windy out that I started sprinting once. And as I was, I happened to be turning a corner as a wind gust came crosswind. And it literally b- blew my back leg across behind my running leg and I almost tripped myself. No. Running at a sprint. I almost tripped myself. You know what I thought you were going to say? because of the wind. I thought you were going to say you were running in place because it was the wind was blowing so hard. That would have been extra Just funny. running into the wind yes. and I wasn't moving at all. <laughs> That's good. And maybe it gave you a little speed with your sprint. Was it if ever was, behind you? Uh, I'm sure it was. I never really felt it. Mm, interesting. I certainly, certainly felt I it I love a day like today. It. This is my kind of day hey, right the, here. The spring warm, I'll take it. Except for the fact that the wind means we got thunderstorms coming and the temperature's dropping. Uh, Great. Again. But I feel like spring is As long funny. as there's no snow. Um, I mean, hey, again. Did you hear about Colorado? No. We got like a huge, massive blizzard out there. Cause really? Because this, this, this um, th- what's it called? This system that's been coming through up there is just, they just got dumped on. Interesting. Up. Yeah, it's been bad. But it's Colorado. They yeah. expect that, right? But, yeah, so I think we're, I think we're about to get that. No, I mean, it's not the no, snow, no, but it's going to no, be cold no. and, yeah. <laughs> okay, podcast listeners, let's all just join hands in prayer that we will not get another round of snow. Spring needs to sprung. Yes. Come on, spring. Who cares what Puxatani Phil said? What did he, he say? Anyway? He said short. He said it's coming this year. Well, come on. Come on, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Phil. <laughs> so, LaShawn. Yes. It's Lent. It's Lent. La- last week on the episode, uh, I was flying solo, but just kind of dove into talking about the season of Lent yes. and some... Uh, just some of the significance of it and why we celebrate and fast and do the things that we do. Mm-hmm. So what's been uh, mm-hmm. what's been on your heart this season as you've been uh, spiritually, mentally, emotionally mm-hmm. prepar- preparing through and, and kind of mm-hmm. the, the cross, the fasting, mm-hmm. the death, mm-hmm. and then ultimately the resurrection? Where, where's your heart and your head been? My heart, <clears throat> my heart is being really um, pruned is the best way to say it. Yeah. I, I think I have shared with you guys before that I have been seeing um, – 
a therapist, which is healthy for us all to do. And we talked about that a lot in my last session about how um, there's just a lot of noisiness in the world. And so you just kind of need, I need to prune some things from me. So Lent is very timely because um, typically we fast from something. And I am not fasting from something for the whole 40 days. I am following, I think we've mentioned the Village Church. Yeah, we talked about that last um, week a little bit. The seasons resource. Yeah, Yeah. and so that guide has you fasting from something different each week or, you know, focusing on something each week. And that's been good to not have to have the pressure of a whole 40 days and it be a duty, but it be something that you're consciously deciding to do. So just a lot of pruning so that I can focus on the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. You know, that's my saying. Yeah. Well, and I like that because I've been I've been kind of doing that same thing along with um, with that same resource. And I like it because, um, you know, if you do something for 40 days, whether it's a meal a day and and there's I mean, it's great to do any of that. It's all good. It's all good. But this this way. Is allowing me to experience and realize how many things mm-hmm. that I look to for goodness mm-hmm. or approval mm-hmm. or relaxation mm-hmm. or, um, and it's you know pulling away from those for seven days at mm-hmm. a time uh, in a different way each week is kind of like you said it's that pruning it's that sharpening mm-hmm. in different ways and you find that you don't like um, I, I think this week is TV I believe. Or television, or, or something yeah, I'm, like that. I'm not in. I'm not in. Line I'm not in order. Them, yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm a little behind. But the beauty is that I find, um, just like when you give up sugar for a season, yeah. like you find that you don't crave it as much. So yeah. I am hoping to find that with the next week's uh, fast of social media, then perhaps I won't just go and reach for my phone just to scroll. Yeah. So I think fasting is good to kind of pull your attention away from it, and then you don't. You're just not attached to it as much, yeah. which is good, and so that hopefully we turn that attachment to. Yeah, the you know, one of, and one of the things, and this this is unrelated specifically to Lent and my family, but we're mm-hmm. trying to detach ourselves from the phones and have the family mm-hmm. time. We've been that's a struggle with teenagers, and, and for us as adults too, mm-hmm. and, and so we're trying to find those patterns and to all of us put our phones up. And the, the amount of time that I reach to that back pocket oh, to touch my phone and just pull it thinking out, thinking it's there. And, mm-hmm. and I talked about this last week, but it's this. It's a, it's just a habit. I don't mm-hmm. need anything on my phone, but I'm reaching for it because mm-hmm. I just want to pick it up mm-hmm. and hold it and look at it. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's mm-hmm. nothing new. I don't. I know I don't really care what's there, mm-hmm. but I'm just going to tap on an app mm-hmm. and open <laughs> something. Um, and trying to uh, t- trying to take that habit that's so mm-hmm. distracting with a phone and turn that into the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. every time I'm reaching in my back pocket, I'm trying to remind, okay, I'm not, I don't need to reach my phone. What's mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit saying mm-hmm. to me right now that's in good. this moment? And it's become this little prayer practice for me. Yeah. Um, so again, it's not necessarily it's Lent related. Like or, yeah, it's kind of like a bracelet or a bracelet. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm just, yeah. For me with the phone, um, I think I find that I I reach and look for my phone to see who's expecting to hear something from me. Oh, okay. And so... Um, where are you needed? <laughs> where am I needed? Yeah. <laughs> and and that creates, you know me personally, but that creates a stress or a pressure that I don't need yeah. because everybody don't always need me, and yeah. sometimes I just need to sit down somewhere. Yeah. Not that I am... It's a pride thing, but not a pride in a puffed up way. It's a yeah. pride kind of thing in that I want to I want to meet a need. I yeah. want to meet and someone's so that, need. It's kind of how we relate to the world. Yeah. 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 So I feel guilty turning on Do Not Disturb. I feel guilty not picking up my phone. Don't. But I'm trying. Yeah. So I need yeah. to develop the, Except for the when habit I need of you for something. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> 
exactly. It, so I need to I need to practice better turning the like making that a prayer focus, like you just yeah. said. That's a good that's a good thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. Well, I mean I I, I mean I've more and more as I get older, just diving into church seasons and and liturgy and things like that. So I'm I'm enjoying just as we did the Advent series, enjoying mm-hmm. this this season of Lent. And so listeners, hope you are as well. Would love to hear. Um, what you're doing, and so I, I, I've been getting some cool emails from y'all uh, just about what Good, you're what yay. you're leaning into. So yeah, lo- love hearing from you guys. So make sure you um, continue to reach out uh, and let us know how this is encouraging you or how we can help you. We'd yeah. love to love to have keep that conversation going. But uh, hey, Lashawn, uh, yes. we do need to talk about what's good. So what is good? What's, what's good? good? What's good? <laughs> well, what's good? You make me laugh every single week. Um, what's good this week is something that I wanted to share with the listeners because I do I have used my phone for this, but it's been in a different way because I can't actually be there. Yeah. Um, I have a love. I I can confess I have a love for museums. Okay. Museums, museums are good um, because it's full of art. It's full of uh, artifacts. It's full of things that call, you know raise up nostalgia, but then also yeah. broaden your learning of oh, things. Yeah. Um, and I have a couple of my husband and I are planning vacation season, and so yeah. we're we're always talking about where we've been before and what did we do that we loved. And I just happened to notice that I keep coming back to I loved going to this museum or that museum. Hmm. Like I can't talk about the DC without all the museums oh, yeah. that they we went to. Um, and then you don't have enough time to spend in them, so it's fun to just kind of explore and and nerd out a little bit for yeah. me. Um, and so it's do, you, good. do you have a favorite? I have really a wanna, lot of that favorites. you've been to or that you want to go back to. Yes, um, I have a list here of the favorites, and they're 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 the tops. The, you never understand why a museum is considered a top museum until you're there, right. and then you're like, oh, okay, yeah, like the Louvre. Yeah, I promise you, and if you ever get to Paris, people, you've got to go, and I would plan a couple of days yes, to be there. We spent half a day, and I only was in one part of a wing of of it, yeah. and it's bananas. But it's so much rich. Yeah. History. It's a cool pl- I, mean, I was there as a kid, so yeah. it's been many, many, many years yeah. since I've been there. But yeah, that's a favorite. I remember seeing the Mona Lisa there. Yes, and, and it's, it was like it's tiny. I know it's nothing like My you girl's imagine. Small. <laughs> teeny, teeny, tiny. And everybody's really and close. It's, and it's so far away because that you can't get yes. close to it. So yes. you're you're roped off and you're trying to look yes. at that girl. But <laughs> yes. And then we also went to in Paris. We went to the Musée um, d'Orsay, which okay. has a lot of uh, Monet and. Um, it's so cool to see those up close and personal. Yeah. They're so well known. Um, but here in the States, my very first museum that I went to where I went, I have got to go back here, is um, the Met in New York. Okay, I've never been there. Wait, I don't, maybe I have. It's huge as well. Like, it's the whole length of almost, I I'm lying, I don't know. New Yorkers, please correct me. But I think it's almost the length of Central Park. Like, it's huge. Wow. But it has different periods of time okay. and a lot of American stuff. I also went to MoMA on the same day. I went to MoMA. That's the one I went to. MoMA can be different depending yeah. on your perspective of art. Um, I was a senior in high school when I went to, so oh, I was, so it was super good. like, yeah. I just kind of breezed through yeah, it. Yeah, and, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. So those two are really cool. Um, and then a museum I haven't been to that I really want to visit is a couple of them in D.C. Because you just can't get to them all. Yeah. And we were there for four days. Yeah, you could... You could spend a month there. And you could easily, um, but I have not been to see the new African American Museum, hmm. African American History Museum of History, um, and it's supposed to be huge with different um, different eras and periods and things too. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. But what about you? Um, so favorite I, museum? 
it's been a while. Now, I did go, when I was in D.C. last May, I did have just a couple hours. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a lot of time, but mm-hmm. we just, b- between meetings that we had there. And so I ran into the Library of Congress, mm, which yes. was awesome. Now, it's not a museum, but it's kind it of a kinda museum. It kind of is, yeah. It's one of the um, And that, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a, I'm a book lover. Oh. I, I'm a book, you know, I just, I just love libraries. Mm-hmm. And so that was really, really neat for mm-hmm. me get down to Jefferson's life. I mean, it was, it was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also ran through and, and literally ran through the, <laughs> the Bible museum, the new Bible museum. I haven't there. been to that one either. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I would have really liked if I was by myself, because mm-hmm. that's like museums it's for a me. Personal thing. It's mm-hmm. a pre- like there's pressure. If I'm yeah. with people, yeah. like yeah. I'm concerned about. Hey, are we all having fun? Is everybody yeah. having fun? Are yes. we having a good time? Yes. Can I stay here and read, or do we need to keep like? Yes, yes. And, and if I'm bored, I want to move on to the next thing. And yep. I, you know, so I, and I was with somebody, and and he was not nearly as interested as I was. I think <laughs> at some of the stuff. So hey, he shall remain nameless on this podcast. I know. Um, but we ran through, uh, and, but it was cool. I mean, and yeah. some of it, you know, some of it is more interesting than others. Obviously, you're going to find that anywhere mm-hmm. of what catches your interest. But what I remember, um, and this is going way, way back to when I was a kid. So mm-hmm. my, my family is all Canadian. Okay. And so every time Bet we you were, didn't know that, listeners. Yeah, we're, I'm a Canadian. I'm the firstborn American in my entire family. I was American Look born. Look at that. Blazing yeah. a trail. So all of my, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so all of my, uh, like, vacations and, and f- visiting relatives was always going to London area or Toronto, yeah. things like that. Yeah. And um, so my grandparents lived in London, Ontario, and there was a, uh, I believe it was just called the London Children's Museum. And Ooh. they would take us there, not every time we visited, uh-huh. but frequently. And I love, I just remember loving it as a kid because uh-huh. it was interactive. Uh-huh. And I don't really remember what I learned uh-huh. while I was there. But they had, you could go, they had like had the city and you yeah. could go play in the city. They had a dinosaur, a whole dinosaur section where you were learning about dinosaurs and seeing things. But I then they the actually city. had these costumes. You could put on dinosaur costumes uh-huh. and cl- climb around in these caves. Uh-huh. And it was awesome. Nice. Yeah. So the London Children's Museum. Now, again, I don't You'd probably have just as there. much. Well, you'd probably have just as much fun if you go. I went to a, a museum that had a huge children's section in London last year. And yeah. my brother-in-law and I were having a ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I would love taking my my kids. My youngest, yeah. Matthew, would love it. But now I went to the Louvre when I was a kid, and yeah. we, we lived in Europe for that year. And mm-hmm. so we visited a few museums. I do remember. I definitely remember the Louvre. But we visited mm-hmm. a lot of castles as well. Oh, and gosh. so I mean, those are essentially museums mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. different of a different sort. And and just visiting those castles and seeing what those mm-hmm. were all about and learning about those different. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was cool. And I, as a kid, I always loved just I wanted to go right to the dungeons and every castle we Ooh, visited in Europe. We wanted to go you. see the torture rooms and stuff. But. <laughs> Where are the bad people going? Yeah, I just love that museums can bring a sparkle to your eye in a way that you don't expect. Yeah, um, you go in thinking, oh, it's a museum. Like, I, I know I have before yeah. because my father-in-law adores museums and we spend hours there and you can you can go in feeling like oh boy this is about to be a whole lot of wasted time yeah. but then something sparks your interest and I always learn something of course yeah. um, I just think it's it's beautiful art is just really beautiful it's it's subjective a lot of it is yeah. and it can make you uncomfortable a little bit but a lot of it is just creativity that I don't have so I'm always looking at things in awe like right. God gave somebody that idea in their brain, yeah. and oh my well, goodness! And, and I, I absolutely love creativity, and I'm, I'm gifted in some ways, artistically and creatively, mm-hmm. but definitely not in terms of craftsmanship or, mm-hmm. or 
you know, painting or drawing, yeah. or any, like I'm awful, but I'm fascinated by people. In fact, I'm working on getting some artists on the podcast here just to Ooh, talk nice. about creativity mm-hmm. and, um, and, and things like that and what they do with their mm-hmm. art and how they connect mm-hmm. to the world through art. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm fascinated by people who are good at that. And, and what I really love is being able to hear their story yes. behind, like what they were inspired and what, what a yes. painting means. And, mm-hmm. I, and I appreciate that more now than I did. And that's, I think that's what I love about museums mm-hmm. and, and art galleries is, you know, museums often are preserving history, but not just to encase it so that we can look at, but mm-hmm. actually that we can remember that we're part that's of right. something that's been going on forever. Yes. And so we can, you can go to a museum and like, oh man, I'm, we've learned, we've grown so much as yeah. a culture and a society since then, mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. we're part of something bigger and yeah. there are things that we've learned. And, and, and to me that matters with the church because we have a tendency to always think that we know everything better right now than we ever did. Yes. And yet there's such value in church history mm-hmm. and realizing that we're a part of a, a larger story and and that they probably knew things and did things 2,000 years ago mm-hmm. that we're missing out on mm-hmm. in the name of progress. And so... Oh, think, and technology and advancement right, and all those right. things, yeah. So to like, be reminded of that is, is important. It's amazing. I mean, just to, I can't imagine sometimes if someone sits down with a paintbrush or a chisel or... A hammery thing. I'm bad with tools. Hammer. Yeah. No, that's what it's called. <laughs> Why not just say hammer? It's, oh, it's sorry. not a hammer. Because not it's got to be a hammery thing. I don't know, Dan. You're judging. <laughs> I'm not judging. No, I'm just kidding. Looking for uh, clarity. <laughs> but there's something to be said about starting something from nothing. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. And, I, that's fascinating. And like you said, me. the whole interpretation of it all. It just is such a reminder of. You know, the same way that God has gifted someone with this thing that nobody can understand, like nobody understands the mind of an of an IT person or an engineer or a coder. Um, but also, can we ever understand? I mean, can we can appreciate yeah. the mind of yeah. a creative that just says, hey, I, I'm feeling this and this is what I want to express. So I just think museums are lovely. Um, I think it's really even fun to scroll on the Instas because all of those museums post a picture and yeah. they usually give the story behind the picture yeah. so you can connect with it differently. So yeah. hopefully people can live through Insta or pictures online or, go, or something. Go somewhere. Or take a go. Trip, try, take, take a trip to D.C. Please all those museums go. are free. Yeah. And even locally, there's yeah. there, there's places. The U.K. has a pretty, um, pretty subst- substantive um, art community, so yeah. there's stuff all find over the Find a gallery, find yeah. something. Yeah, be yeah. inspired. Yeah. I like that. Museums, it's art, what's that's good. good. It's good that for your heart. Good. Thanks, mm-hmm. Lashon. No props. Well, today our interview is with a gentleman named Adam Gustine. He's he's written a book called Becoming a Just Church, and it's all about the idea that, that justice is intertwined with the gospel, and that's been a pretty hot topic of conversation mm-hmm. uh, over the last couple of years in, in our society about mm-hmm. where social justice should land in terms of the gospel and church and whether it's uh th- they are should be married at the hip or if they're yeah. <laughs> if it's one or the other yeah. so he he's uh he obviously is taking the stance that church should be about justice and so he's written a, a book that's practical but is also um inspirational and so here's my conversation with adam Well, I'm joined with uh, Adam Gustine, who has recently released a book called Becoming a Just Church, and he is uh, in all kinds of really cool, do, doing really cool work over in South Bend. And Adam, we're grateful for taking that you're taking some time to join us today on the podcast. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. Yeah. So uh, if you would, just go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit. Talk us, uh, tell our listeners about you and your family and what it is that you do over in South Bend. 
Yeah, my uh, my wife and kids, um, we moved to South Bend even just actually this summer. Um, we'd been in Chicago before. Okay. Um, so I work I work uh, with the Evangelical Covenant Church denomination and in the mercy and justice sort of department. And um, what had been kind of a broad focus in all things community development um, yeah. has focused specifically now on economic development kinds of opportunities for churches and organizations in their communities, uh, specifically through uh, social enterprise projects. And okay. so we moved back here uh, to South Bend, which uh, we'd lived here previously, and we are not only kind of helping that um, get off the ground for the covenant, but getting some stuff like that off the ground here locally. So uh, we started a, an economic incubator called Jubilee Ventures here in South Bend. And basically our goal is to come alongside um, future community business owners uh, okay. and create kind of a network of support around them here in the community. So what do you mean when you say economic incubator? Can you, can you define that a little bit for our listeners? For sure, uh, we kind of have two. We, we kind of have two different profiles of people that we want to be working with. Okay. Uh, the first is the, the the person that maybe has all of the capacity to own a business, but maybe he's not just sitting on an idea, and so they want to come in and work with us, and over time, um, become a business owner. But they don't. They're not. They're not starting with the idea at the beginning, and so uh, we sort of create businesses that can spin yeah. off sub businesses. And so our first project is a, is a property maintenance and management company. Um, because if you think about all the things you have to do, um, for a business like that, there's about six or seven different businesses. Um, and so our goal is over time to sort of apprentice people into taking bits of that business and becoming a, a business owner in the community themselves. Um, so that's kind of the first piece. And then the second piece is um, what do you do when you have somebody who has an idea, um, who has all the capacity to, to own a business, but for whatever reason, they, they are encountering obstacles. If, if they've got a, a criminal record or something like that, where maybe they are, are encountering uh, challenges to getting that done, if it's access to capital or, or whatever it may be. So helping them sort of bring those businesses to life is really kind of a, our, our longer term vision is to say, how can we uh, nurture those kinds of business owners in the community as well? So it sounds like it's um, it's development, which is, it's not charity, it's development over a period of time, uh, sure. walking in relationship with these individuals who are on either end of that spectrum with the idea or with the, the means and helping them over that period of time um, within the, yeah, the, well, the incubator, like you said, kind of developing that and yeah, so South Bend is like, um, um, there's sections of town, like many sections of town, incredibly economically challenged. You know, the yeah. west side where I live uh, is 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 that way and has all of those kind of challenges along the way with it. We're also a town that has more social service organizations than any person per, or, uh, in, per capita than any other city in the country. Oh, wow. Um, and so there's plenty of... Um, places for people to find various networks of support, lots of churches in the community um, that are doing sort of the relational side of things. The The niche here then is uh, the long-term prospects for the neighborhood have to include the economic question as well. And so we're trying yeah. to kind of work that out in our community as well. Yeah. So I, I'm curious. So you've been a pastor 
before at, at multiple churches, different congregations, if I understand correctly, you, you know, you've got a seminary degree. How, how did you go through that process? I'm, I'm always curious, again, what, what we tend to dive into on this podcast is just that process of faith and obedience and what that looks like. So how did you go from that place of what, what might be considered typical pastoral ministry or traditional ministry to this more, you know, forward-thinking, developmental, social justice type um, ministry to your community? What, what was that process like for you and for your family? You know, I, I, it's a, been a, a long journey, but it was in 2008, uh, my family, we moved to New York and uh, yeah. the first church that I became a pastor at was uh, in Brooklyn. And, um, you know, I've, I've said it before, you know, my, from a distance, I, my picture of being a pastor in Brooklyn was kind of the hipster, trendy vibe uh, yeah. kind of thing. And so in my brain, that was kind of what was going to, that was what was going to happen. And, um, but when we got there, we moved into the middle of a first or second generation immigrant neighborhood uh, with folks from all over the world who were encountering unbelievable challenges and were bearing unbelievable burdens. Um, and, and one of the sort of like the entry into that was that many people in our community, um, particularly our friends from China or friends from uh, Arabic countries, uh, were being sort of preyed on by um, uh, people posing as immigration attorneys. Huh. And so uh, we had we had families being broken up uh, where dad's being deported through no fault of his own, but they paid someone they thought was filing their paperwork correctly and the person was just taking the money and running and, and mm. these kinds of things. And so to watch the actual families uh, connected with our, our, you know, sort of community of congregations there get broken up, and for us to think, what does it mean to love our neighbors well in this space, um, put me on this sort of fast forward track into the question yeah. of, well, the gospel is bigger, better, more beautiful than certainly I learned in seminary. Uh, maybe it's just because I'm slow on the uptake, but um, <laughs> that, that, that God is sort of putting all of the brokenness of the world back together. Yeah. Uh, that's what God's doing in Jesus. That's what he's doing in each one of us. And the church is crazily God's primary vehicle for doing that. And so um, to me, it, it became kind of a progression of, to say, if I'm, if I'm, what is it that's good news to people living in generational poverty? Um, is, is flourishing the way God intended going to include all of what makes us human or just sections of it? And so for me, um, it became a decidedly economic kind of thing. I also think then at the second, the second layer of that is that um, these economic questions are things that I think all of us can engage in really well, no matter what context we live in. Um, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, I don't live in a diverse community or I don't live in a city. What, what do I do? Um, I think economic kinds of uh, community development things can happen anywhere and can be really, really, um, I don't know, beneficial, irrespective of context. Yeah. So it's, you know, I, I hear you talking about, in, as you're answering that question, I hear you talking about the gospel and God's, what, what the gospel is and that Jesus Christ is bringing all these things together, the, the idea of abundance and life and 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 peace and those things, and, and that there is that that works itself out in every facet of human existence and life and there's this interesting dialogue or debate or 
conflict maybe going on and that you hear in the church uh, over the last couple of years. I, I, I'd not really been too aware of it until just recently, but the idea of where does social justice fit <laughs> with the church and with the gospel? And there are some that are trying to draw some pretty clear lines between, well, there is the gospel and what the church should be about. And then there's also social justice, which is good. And it sounds like you you would kind of maybe take that that leaning towards it's you know, what what you are doing with people economically in your communities and seeing that it is a very real and important and vital part of what it means to live out the gospel in our lives. And is that is that accurate? Yeah, I, I think it is. I, I guess what I would say is um, it depending on the, the way that you think about what the work of the church is. Yeah. Um, I, I think about the church. The phrase that I use in the book is that the church is like a parable in, in the sense that uh, the, the job of the church is to enact God's intentions in the world, to put it on display. Um, and so my, my question is always, well, what is it that God is going to do one day? Well, everything one day will be made right. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the brokenness will be put back together. And all of that is centered around Jesus. And so if you look at those incredible passages in Revelation 21 and 22, you, you get these unbelievable Jesus-centered moments where yeah. all that has gone wrong has been made right. So then if I'm thinking about the church, uh, you know, as Paul talks about the wisdom of God being made known to the world um, through the church, I, I, I kind of get this picture of like, oh, well, if I'm if we as the people of God are called to put it on display, then these are all ways that we can say, you know what? God doesn't intend for poverty to rack a neighborhood and destroy it from the inside out. That, yeah. that, that's not what God intends. And so any of this work, the work of community development or the work of economic justice or social enterprise, um, all of those things uh, are ways that we can demonstrate that God wants for us, uh, something other than what many of us experience. And, and, and when I think about it like that, then I think, well, there's not too much different than like when I stand up on a Sunday and I preach a sermon about discipleship and how God wants more for each one of us than what we experience because sin breaks us down. And, uh, God wants more for us than addiction and all of the different ways that we talk about it and accept it in the church. I just extend that same conversation out to the way that we engage in the world. Yeah, that's good. You know, you you referred to the word, um, I think it's even in, t- in the title of your book, but you talk about the idea of shalom, um, which is a word that <laughs> I think a lot of listeners to this podcast maybe are somewhat familiar with that, but not in a sense that we've spent a whole lot of time thinking about it. So can you can you talk about that? I mean, you've, you've laid that the groundwork for that without using the word shalom. Can you kind of dive into that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, well, in you know, in in the in the English translations, with it's the word peace. It's the word that we generally describe as peace. And so, yeah. um, but one of the things we miss there is is that there's kind of two ways that we that that word peace works in English, and and one would be peace as the absence of violence, yeah. um, which is part of it, but not the whole thing. Um, the other way that we use it in English is to say a person is at peace. Um, and, and if you were to say, yeah, I'm feeling really at peace about this, what we mean is I feel, uh, whole and put together and everything is as it should be. I feel at peace. Everything's right. Um, that's more what that word shalom gets at. Um, a lot of people like to talk about the idea that shalom means wholeness, which is true. 
um, in the community development world. Uh, and John Perkins is a guy that has often said that shalom means that nothing is missing and nothing is broken. Hmm. Um, so if you think about this idea that, that the shalom of God means that um, in, the, in creation, you have a world at peace where nothing's missing, nothing is broken. God uh, exists, God creates a world that can live in that kind of relationship with God, and then sin breaks it all down. Yeah. Um, and then the work that God is doing is bringing wholeness back to us, to our world, to our relationship with, with him, for our ability to uh, be in relationship with him, sort of mending it. Um, so that, that idea of wholeness to me is, is, is a kind of a way that I tease out then the whole story of scripture there. Yeah. I heard, um, I believe her name is Oshita Moore, um, talk about that concept of Shalom. And I, and I think she kind of describes it as the essential, it is goodness of the garden of Eden. And it's that, like you said, it's that what God created and initiated it from, from the beginning of the creation narrative is that, that person, that harmony and the flourishing and the the unity and oneness with God and creation. And that, and as you said, sin breaks that. And we see it fully, we see God at work doing that through the Old Testament, but fully, fully doing that through Christ. And, and if, if you look through the Gospels and see his words, his actions um, are doing that in, in many ways, they're healing the sick, bringing hope for, you know, freeing the captives, bringing hope for the poor, um, good news to the poor. Um, and that is, those are all pieces of bringing about that, that flourishing and that, that peace. And, you know, certainly what he, his sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, you know, that's those, we are the children of God. If we are making peace, which as you said, isn't just the ability to walk around and not have conflict with one another. (laughs) There's something, there's something far more that we are actively bringing about and, and trying to return to that persistent vision of joy and harmony and it is goodness, um, and that certainly works itself out um, economically, resourcefully, as as it does also spiritually and individually. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, so your book um, just released uh, a couple weeks ago now, late February, and it's called "Becoming a Just Church." Um, what What brought you to the point of writing that book, and 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 what are your hopes for it, and and what can our listeners and readers expect sure. if if they're wanting to learn more about this? Well, you know, I, the, a couple of streams sort of came together for me. One is the, the, the justice practitioner, the person who's passionate about God's justice, um, which would have been me, you know, before getting into pastoral ministry, as my heart started to move towards these kinds of things. Like, what, what do I do with this? How do yeah. I work this out? And, you know, in the large uh, majority of cases, you know, the local church there's not a lot of justice work happening. And so justice uh, folks tend to gravitate towards the parachurch organization yeah. to work out those things. And then there's nothing wrong with that. But what has happened then as, you know, justice is a fairly controversial topic as it gets embroiled with politics or, or different streams of theology. And so people who, who care deeply about justice, I think, feel a little sidelined in the local church congregation. Um, then at the same time, I spend a lot of time with pastors who are deeply, um, deeply committed to questions of justice, but want to figure out what it looks like to work it out in the local church context, and they get a little stuck or not sure where to go. So yeah. to me, it's like, well, in both of those cases, we're 
we're missing that God actually, I think, intends for justice to get worked out in local rooted communities of faith. Um, And so if we're leaving the church to do justice work, then then we've missed it somewhere along the way. Uh, And then at the same time, like if we want to lead our churches and be faithful, then the questions of justice and and pursuing God's shalom in the world, those are essential things. They're not optional add-ons. So to me, it's like not in the local churches where this has to get worked out. Uh, So, you know, can we, you know, my hope, I guess, is that it's not just um, a book that says we should care about justice in the local church. There's many fine books that do that. My thought is I'm always thinking about the pastor sitting in their office saying, okay, well, now what do I do? How do I do this? Uh, And so I was trying to think, well, this is what I would start to do. This is the way that it it looks, I think, to begin to work it out in the local, local space. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's really interesting being, being in the church world, we, most churches would value the idea of outreach or missions um, and sometimes there's a, uh, like a benevolent <laughs> church will have this benevolence ministry or benevolence offering where we're just, we're, we just, you, regardless of the amount or, or what that is that we want to just be able to give this away, um, to people who might have a, a need or, or there's an outreach, which is typically more tied a little bit to evangelism or trying to, trying to maybe meet some needs with the goal of, helping people hear about Christ. And certainly I believe that's probably what a lot of people do in missions work. Um, but, but the idea of, of tying justice to that is sort of that deeper step that we, we're not, we don't just necessarily want to meet the initial felt need, but the, that we actually want to seek that, the fullness of that harmony, the fullness of human flourishing for people. Um, and that, that is a work of the church, that it was certainly what Christ was doing. And it certainly is a work we, we should be carrying. That's, that's awesome. And, and, and even to push that even further and to say that the work of justice, when the scriptures describe it, particularly in the Old Testament prophets, the, the, the issues of justice are all sort of in-house issues. Um, the people are not being just. It's not even a matter of whether or not they're going out to do it, but they're not living a, as just people themselves. Yeah. Um, and that there's something about justice that's actually deeply discipleship oriented. It's about obedience and faithfulness, the character of our life together. Um, and so the the evangelistic fruit is almost secondary to the fact that I think God is is pushing his people always into justice because it's like, no, this is what being my people in the world looks like. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's awesome. So, so it sounds like it's a practical, practical book as well as with obviously the theological backing to it. Um, it so again, it's called "Becoming a Just Church: Cultivating Communities of God's Shalom." And so, so what would you say then? To, so we've got listeners here. Um, some are pastors, but many, many aren't. Um, what What would you say to someone listening to this who is maybe just trying to wrap their head around that for the first time? What justice is? H- how do we? as individual followers of Christ. And, and I love that your book is really leaning towards how do we do this corporately as local church bodies, but uh, what, what encouragement or what challenge would you give just to an individual hearing this who might say, that is something that I would like to see and, and feel that more in my spirit, an individual walk with Christ and pursuit of faith. What are ways that we can look towards um, seeking that shalom in our community in our cities. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I was even just this week, uh, preparing to speak on the story of the good Samaritan, a story yeah. we've heard 
gosh, a million times, yeah. uh, probably. And I, and it, but it hit me this week for the very first time that this whole question is what it looks like to love your neighbor. Um, and so the whole story is about that. Um, and I, it hit me, you know, um, in that story, loving your neighbor looks like being willing to pay the price to bind up someone who is broken. That that's what that mm. looks like there. And, you know, I'm not going to say that's, that's the only way to define what it looks like to love your neighbor. But if you think about and look at the life of Jesus and how often Jesus took up residence with people at the margins, uh, with people who've been beaten down, actually, it makes a lot of sense that that's the kind of story Jesus would tell when it comes to what it looks like to love our neighbors. And yeah. so, um, you know, that's baseline Christianity. Uh, the second commandment is to love my neighbor as I love myself. So the question that I have been wrestling with this week is, that, is am I loving to, willing to love my neighbor that much yeah. um, to the point where I'd be willing to pay the price to bind up whatever is broken in them, particularly those um, often pushed out to the side? Uh, so for me, like that's an individual question. That's where that begins. Uh, what does that look like in my life? Where are the spaces where people um, are getting pushed out? And do I do I see that yet? Um, and if I do, then what does it look like to begin to, uh, like Jesus, befriend, uh, be family with people who have been pushed out uh, to the side? I think that's stuff that all of us can do. Um, and then as churches, as we kind of live that out in a corporate way, then it can it can take on even greater depth and, and meaning, I think. Yeah, well, that's great, man. And I think you're just hearing, hearing you talk about that, just, and again, reminding of if that concept of shalom is something that originates in, essentially in the garden at the creation story and that unity and that oneness that we are all as humans created in that image of God, then a, a really simple starting point, you know, it, w- w- listening to, to, to you talk through that, it's, again, you could, as an individual think, I, I have no idea, how do I begin with that? Where do I go? But just the simple idea that Man, if, if we can learn just to, to, in, to prayerfully look at every other human being, whether it's our, our spouse, our children, or our neighbors, or the people that we come across on the side of the street, um, and every interaction as Jesus did, looking at that person as someone created in the image of God and, and willing to be present with them, willing to look at them, willing to um, lean into that, and in whatever moments we have to value that and offer that that relationship, offer that, you, you know, Imago Dei kind of <laughs> connection with someone, yeah. it, that's a really small way, but it's a way that our hearts can start to tw- turn towards that idea of shalom and unity and um, that that peacefulness, that at-oneness with one another and with Christ. So, Right. Well, man, I, I appreciate it. I, I'm excited to, to to read your book, and I think we've got listeners who uh, we, we've been talking about things like justice and advocacy and, and what that looks like in the political realm on previous episodes of this podcast. And so um, r- really, uh, your book feels really timely for a lot of ways, <laughs> not just in, in the, the stream that this particular podcast has been going, but I think culturally and, and things going on around the world right now. Uh, it's it's really timely. So grateful for your work and your ministry up there in South Bend and, and that you've um, taken the the Herculean effort to put it all into words and, in a way that in a way that others can grasp onto. So Adam, appreciate appreciate your time. Where can where can our listeners uh, connect with you if they're looking to learn more or wanted to want to follow up? 
Yeah, I mean, you can uh, find me on Twitter personally, but then you can also connect with what we're doing here in South Bend at jubileesouthbend.com. Uh, and you can get directly in contact with me there. Awesome. Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll link to your your Twitter profile and that Jubilee uh, Ventures on the show notes, so people can easily connect to you there. And uh, again, man, best wishes with the book, and appreciate your time this morning. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. thanks again to Adam for joining us on the podcast today. Again, his new book is called Becoming a Just Church, Cultivating Communities of God's Shalom. And we will link to that, uh, the Amazon link for his book on our show notes in the episode webpage. So you can find that uh, at Amazon or wherever you get your books. So Adam, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for the work you've done in justice uh, in your communities and for helping others, helping bring others into that through this book. So hopefully listeners, you can go check that out. And I just find it so interesting. You know, I, if you'd asked me five, 10 years ago about justice or advocacy or uh, what that looks like within the context of church and faith, I probably wouldn't have had a great answer for you. And it's, it's just been interesting that, that this seems to be really uh, not only it's moving in my heart, but also uh, it seems to be moving within the, the heart of the church here in our country in different ways. And just, just I didn't necessarily have this plan, but it, just looking back on some of the uh, interviews and conversations we've had on the podcast here over the last couple months here in season two. Uh, I think it was back episode 20, we talked with uh, Scogginsburg and Debbie Harlan Bacchus just about their work with the One Campaign and what that that kind of justice work means. And the, the very next episode was with um, the ladies from Pantsuit Politics and what it means to have those kinds of conversations about justice and politics within the realm of faith. Um, we've had people like, like Tim Thompson, I think that was episode 22, talking about um, his work with justice um, for people in sub-Saharan African countries. And, and then here we go, coming around again and talking with Adam and what that looks like in communities right here as we pursue that, that concept of shalom. It's, it's a great word, a Hebrew word. I'd encourage you to, to dig more into that and, and look to Scripture and see where you see that word shalom come out in the Old Testament and how that lines up with the Gospels and what you see in the life of Jesus, because I think there's a lot more that we can lean into as the people of God in that regard. So again, grateful for Adam and the time he's given us today. If you enjoyed that conversation or were challenged by it, again, it's, it's awesome if you could share that with a friend or even go to iTunes, leave a rating and a review there, because as we continue to build this community together uh, in the podcast space about pursuing this life of faith together, uh, we obviously want more and more people to connect to that. And so that one of the best ways that you could help create that space is just by taking 30 seconds to go and leave a rating or review. And as always, if, if you're interested in uh, becoming a Patreon supporter of this, we do have that account set up. So it's patreon.com slash ordinary faith. And you, for as little as about a dollar per episode, you can become a supporter uh, of this podcast, which uh, would be incredibly meaningful to us as well here. And of course, as always, I do want to say thank you to the band Legacies for providing the music and being the soundtrack to the Ordinary Faith podcast. So you can find Legacies music on Apple Music or Spotify or wherever you get your music. So thanks to those guys for uh, providing the music and the soundtrack here. As always, friends, all it takes to bring heaven to earth is ordinary faith and extraordinary grace. Mm-hmm.